Welcome to the Chef of X podcast. Remember, uh, I usually don't mention names. Okay, a woman whose name starts with an R. I was speaking to her when I ran into you guys, right? Yeah. And I was telling her, man, this is, I am struggling right now in this course that we're both taking. It's a Math 1D. 1D. And everyone told me at the beginning, this you're signing up for failure, right? But I, I took it, whatever. I generally like math. Um, and of course, they were right. I, I'm basically, learn, I'm trying to swim. But the reason why I'm struggling is because I don't have, like, basic study habits that were automatic to me at a different point in time in my life. So I, I recognize, hey, all I, if I rebuild those, it's kind of like a momentum machine. If I rebuild those, then uh, that's the underlying cause. Then I don't have to worry about the output. I mean, it has its consequences, but I don't have to worry about the output because that's not solving the problem. Getting angry at myself for the output does nothing toward me actually becoming a better version of myself. Meaning actually being a good student means having a certain set of skills, A through Z, that I don't have. So I should just build those skills instead of looking at all the evidence that I'm not the best student. And um, for me, like I said, just engaging in that and recognizing that I'm improving and, rec- you know, seeing the, the holes in my ways makes me feel more confident, even though the outcome isn't what it is. And um, I don't know, I wanted to hear what you thought about, you know, self-actualization and something else, which uh, is, is a more interesting topic, meaning, meaning in your life. What is meaning? And where does it come from? And is, is it something that you can kind of build or, or practice? Is it a skill or is it does it come from the heavens? Who knows? Um, something that's very close to self-actualization, which a lot of people don't seem to link but makes a lot of sense to me, is uh, the Aristotelian concept of eudaimonia, which... Um, yeah, I just started studying that. That's funny. Yeah, which uh, I don't know if you guys are super familiar with but it's um it's a definition of happiness that defines happiness as a pursuit of it and that happiness isn't a um a that it's not a a destination or a a feeling that it's more that happiness is the pursuit of the path that's right for you Mm. or that it's the uh it's the pursuit of better in yourself so um happiness can be a, a a single feeling like there's some material thing that makes me happy or i get a good grade and i feel happy but that's not happiness that's feeling happy and aristotle talks about happiness as a um as a path like a long-term mission that you start and doesn't really end the same as self-actualization i think you can be working on self-actualization till the day you die um, and for me, that that's what really gave me meaning when I was struggling, is to understand that there are more than one type of happiness. So there's the the um, the short term, which is usually material and um, insignificant. I think it's not long lasting. So you can be happy and then sad, but um, happiness in itself is a is a state of mind that you you're pursuing always, and you can be happy a happy person and still have sad days but it's the pursuit of continuing to want to be happy and do things that make you happy and pursuing the path that's right for you and that means finding your passions and um 
continuing to do what feels good for you not just is good for you or other people say is good for you but you know inherently is is good for you and um i do think it's something that you have to train yourself for and it's it confounds itself when there's other people telling you what's right and what's good and what should make you happy and there's always a lot of other problems in you know being a member of society so what makes you happy might not necessarily be what makes you money or what makes you hey i need my money now yeah and i mean <laughs> and, and there is a correlation like it, it, it it's right that 70,000 yeah and it's, i mean especially here if you don't have money and you're doing a job that makes you happy your quality of life will be lower because you won't be able to pay for your food but yeah. um it, in, even, in general yeah, not whole foods that's for sure <laughs> um, <laughs> not even half the foods yeah all the avocado they sell there oh yeah um, one avocado <laughs> how much is one avocado at whole foods be honest one two avocado bucks. toast two bucks uh, avocado is two bucks avocado two toast bucks. about two million but yeah avocado oh. toast the price of a because you can go to Gilroy six avocados for a dollar Keep that in mind. Isn't that crazy? If you guys want to make a road trip one day, just <laughs> it's all. do you do you think happiness is uh, attainable for you? Um, I've been happy before, and I think it, like the way you put it, yeah, definitely. I agree with what you said. When I was happy, I was um, working towards my goals, yeah, and learning stuff and becoming a better person in general, and felt good. Yeah, and like what you said about the study habits, I built those from like zero, from like zero. literally. You zero. know where I am right now, then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. I'm I'm there right now. <laughs> this is this is before. I'm I'm like negative zero right now. <laughs> wow, that's pretty low. Yeah. If I was good at math, I'd know negative zero is not a thing. So I'm. That's how zero I am. Is I I forgot about. That. I can help you with math. It's I'm I'm good. I um. I, I, but the thing is, the way that I approach math is not. Actually, it might not help you in a math class. It's all good. I'm, <laughs> but it I'm would done help with you. math forever. Okay, good. Yeah, okay. I was I was thinking about that today because I just came from a math class. But in a class, there's this uh, there's like at least two weird things. One is that there's a time restriction, right? Overall, and the second is that you're taking you're taking exams like in between, right? So a lot of concepts kind of bleed together, and yeah. and, and sometimes. You don't understand things immediately, but you can kind of work yeah. through it. And then at some point in the future, then all it's like suddenly it makes sense to you, right? But if that point, this actually happened to me. If that point happens after the test, it's no good, right? I when I took uh, calculus in high school, mm-hmm. I got like a C in the class. My teacher hated me. I was usually a pretty good student, and I liked the class, but um, she was like, "You don't work hard enough. Work, right?" And but then. The AP test came around, and that was after the class was over. Yeah, and I did well. <laughs> Fine. Yeah, I did well on the test. Now, the test does not, you know, really tell you your understanding of everything in mathematics. But I distinctly remember, like, two days after this test on derivatives, I finally, like, it finally clicked in my mind. And because in school you have this time restriction, right, and you have to take these intermediate tests and whatever, you can actually have a great understanding of mathematics and do and not do well, or have a bad understanding of mathematics and do really well. And uh, I think they said Einstein didn't do the best in math, but obviously he made a very large impact in physics, which is math-based. Uh, so it doesn't even filter for 
all of the traits that would make you successful, like even in the sciences. So imagine if you're going to sure. just be a psychologist and you're taking these courses mm-hmm. or you're going to be a something else, some random thing that's not really too math dependent. Why are you killing yourself doing this shit that's not even whatever training I've, you for? I have a, a big bone to pick with that. Not with, with what you're saying. Like, I agree yeah. with you. Um, I think that, that stems above math and just as uh, an issue of our education system in general. Probably. And um, especially with the way that testing works and uh, the structure of grading intelligence which i yeah feel very strongly about because i think that um intelligence isn't it can't be graded and that your understanding of something is always expanding and um like you said it's it's not a reflection what you get on the test it's not a reflection of what you know or what you understand because it's just a a cherry-picked example of a few problems and it's not accurate to your whole understanding and the way you process and Right. Intelligence is a mat is a is a a measure of the way you make associations and the way you think, and you can't test for that in a Scantron bubble. Yeah, and um, and I think that it's it's a big issue because, especially here in the Bay Area, there's so much pressure on testing, or at least in in the school that I went to, um, in the grade school I went to, it's so much pressure on. Uh, performance, especially number focused, yeah, and I think that's really, really detrimental for mental health and just your well-being in general and intelligence. And I think that actually makes people feel dumber and perform worse. Yeah, when you are told repeatedly that you need to fit this mold and you need to be tested in this way, because that's not how I define intelligence or smartness. So. Um, where did you uh, go to... What city did you go to school in? I went to the Harker School in San Jose. San Jose? Oh, that's right. <laughs> I'm not from the uh, Bay Area. But I've heard this uh, over and over again, that there's a really heavy emphasis, um, especially here, on um, kind of the technical areas. I mm-hmm. wonder why, right? <laughs> it, it's... It's, it's, good. <laughs> it's good and bad. It's good and bad, yeah. Well, the thing is, what you want to emphasize is learning. And if learning is not happening, then then it's bad. Mm-hmm. And if it is, then it's good. But you can't reduce it to one metric. You know, what did you get, what did you get on this standard test or something like that? Um, it's tricky. There's a, there's a college. Um, I like this college a lot. If I would have known about it, I would have applied to it. I, 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 they don't offer my major. I don't care. I would have gone. This is the best college in the entire state, if you ask me. It's um, UC Santa Barbara's College of Creative Studies, and mm. they structure it after a graduate school instead of an undergraduate school. Yeah. So you can do your own projects. Oh, yeah. Oh, that'd be any dope. Class that you would want. be the shit. Any class you want. Like, if you're in Math 1D, if you want, in, um, instead of taking 1D, you could take 2A, you could take 2B, you could take 22, any order you want. No prerequisites. Any, no prerequisites. Oh, that would be yeah. raw. You get priority registration to everything. It's like, it's like the best uh, environment for learning however you want. And they give you mentors too. Um, they'll just you hang out with any professors you want, and you write you write a project like uh, like a dissertation, kind of a thing. And only like really good students get in. But I mean, it's it doesn't limit you. You know, it doesn't make you yeah. fit any mold unless you really develop your own understanding of whatever you want. Yeah, and it's great. And the, yeah, I think we we're we're moving and especially in institutions, we forget that the goal is learning. Yeah, and it's it's not. Um, it's. Yeah. I mean, you you need to have a certain level of understanding, especially if you're going into a field like 
medicine or something that you need like a structural understanding for but um it learning happens in different ways and people make associations in different ways and i'm a very strong believer that you need a, a holistic education so even if you're not like i don't i'm not a stem major but i feel like i need some stem classes because it would help me understand the world and the things that i learn in like math class like logic i can apply to my political science and it helps um but if I'm able to choose the classes that I that interest me, I know that I do better. Yeah. And th- I mean, like, and I know that you read, like, you were reading math books for fun and like learning, and that works better for you. So I was wondering, like, way better than school, way better than school. What way the process is for you when you do that versus in a classroom? Like, what the difference is? In a classroom, I just space out. I don't even. I don't need to go to any of those lectures because as soon as I go, I fall asleep anyways, you know? Um, yeah. Except for sometimes when it's a cool, like Newton, I'll, I'll take his lecture any day. That but, guy uh, really is cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm glad that, I'm glad that you suggested going to his club because when I met him, I was like, this is like, this is kind of what I wanted. This is like a geek fantasy where it's like, yeah. it's actually a cool guy oh, yeah. who's good at what he does and he's not trying to screw you over as much as he's genuinely challenging you like mm-hmm. if if you're excited when i do well that's perfect yeah you know and and he happens he to be like you care you know he's uh, comedic and whatnot shout out to shout out to newton he's the best <laughs> sorry scott langford <laughs> you know newton's the best he uh he really does like step away from the whole education system that we're talking about too like he encourages uh whatever kind of thinking you want and he doesn't use one textbook He'll tell you about like three or four textbooks. He'll say, but ultimately he doesn't teach from a textbook. He makes his own problems up. He teaches you how to think about like a system and stuff. And he'll make sure like you're thinking in a good way. So he won't tell you how to think, but like he'll tell you if it's like, if you're thinking. If if you're making mistakes, if you're making logical errors. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to have critical thinking and analysis and logic classes. Um, Why? Because I think the root of all... Well, I mean, I don't want to interrupt you. You're talking about we things. You're in one. That's not the same. Um, no, I mean... And this is something that I'm uh, working with with your uh, arch nemesis, Rohan. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, arch nemesis. He worked for the beef. Honda campaign. I worked for the Kana campaign. Mm. I won. He lost. Mm. You may have won the battle. But we've won the war. You, you have it. We're, we're in Congress and you're not. Yeah, with a bunch of Republicans. So you're right. Have, have fun. You're right. Can't get anything done. But so anyway. We're getting into politics now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always getting into politics. And I'm afraid science of politics. Major. So. Let me be honest. Afraid of politics? The truth is I'm not even afraid of politics. I'm just, I'm afraid of news these days. I'm, I'm really uninformed and I don't have the... I don't know the conviction to even read a newspaper. Eighty-eight-five, and that's bad. You know, maybe by admitting this, and you guys getting on my case, it'll be the it'll be the end of that bad habit, um, along with a lot of my bad study habits. But I just um, I f- I feel like what news is needs to be more well defined before I can take it seriously. Um, what what is what counts as a story? And uh, what what the criteria is for some organization to say this is front page or this is whatever page, 
and and how to what degree do they care about the integrity of their sources? Um, I don't know. It's just there's so many elements in news that make it hard to not not even not even hard to verify. Just the fact that the fact that everybody doesn't have the same priorities or the same interests uh, when it comes to news makes it kind of a depressing enterprise right now that I hope will get figured out in the next five years. But like, is the future of the news going to be close to what we have with sections where it's like, if you want to read about tech, you just read your tech thing and that's it. Or you want to read about sports, you just read. Because there's so much information out there that how do you decide like, this is the relevant this, this Mm -hmm. is the relevant that. And there's new categories seem to be getting created by the minute. You know, at one point I I only watched TED Talks. At another point, I only read um, the Mercury News. And I feel like everything is like a curation now. There's just way too much, and I don't even know what to, what I should be prioritizing. I have a lot to say on that. I don't want to take up too much longer than I Take answer, up as much, please. Because, <laughs> because I need to hear this yeah. at this point in my life. I'm not even reading. Yeah. <laughs> I'm paralyzed. Yeah. Um... So, and, and, and that gets to what I was saying before, the, the critical thinking and analysis yeah. and logic. I think um, a, a really big problem, it's an, it's an educational problem, but it's also a political problem. Um, uninformed voting, but also just uninformed, or like, um, an un, I, I call people well-rounded or worldly, so an unworldliness. And yeah. that comes from... Uh, a lack of exposure but also a lack of understanding of critical thought and analysis yeah. and that's why I think it should be mandated in um, middle and well mid- in grade school to have a um, not only a civics class but a critical thinking and analysis because there are so many news outlets and there's not really a strict definition of what news is because you know and, and even if it's properly formatted as news if it's credible if it makes sense it might not be newsworthy to me if it is to you, if it's something that we yeah. see differently. So news doesn't really exist. Um, but it, there's all these different topics and all of these different sources, sometimes even saying the same thing. But if you read one article versus another article from a different organization, you'll get a completely different perspective. And the solution to that is to understand that all of these organizations, even if they're producing true content, um, you have to take in, through a critical eye. You can't just take everything at face value. And it's my strong belief that you have to read multiple sources. And people have varying amounts of time. Like, I'm especially interested in this because politics is, like, it's what I do, what I study. So yeah. I g- give more Wait, I time. Thought, and I thought you studied psychology. I'm hoping to double major. Oh. Well, I'm in, I'm in a political science major, but I want to double in psych. But Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, I can carve out a longer chunk of my day to to study politics because that's what I'm interested in. But um, I think understanding that everything you see is written by someone, by an organization who is owned by some people who, I mean, that, that gets into the whole theory of conglomerates and all that, which is uh, murky and dark money and whatever. But all you really need to understand. Dark money. Yeah. It, oh, man. But all you really need to understand is that um, everything that you read is written for a purpose, and right. everyone has a bias, but if you're aware of that bias, it can't damage you. So 
when I read even the New York Times, which I believe is a reputable source and I trust, I, I acknowledge that what they're saying is one perspective yeah. and that there's other perspectives. And if you're not reading those perspectives, if you're not understanding that other perspectives exist in the first place, yeah. you're not going to get a whole understanding because even like, even like right now we're in the same room, but all of us are having different thoughts yeah. and all of us are going to walk away with a different experience, even though we all heard the same words that I'm saying right now. So you can't expect a political issue to only have one answer. And that's why I feel like it's your duty as a citizen to understand that multiple perspectives exist, multiple versions of the truth, and do your best to the, to your ability and your interest to read as much of that or learn as much of that as possible. And there's different ways to do that. He was saying 88.5, which is NPR, yeah. um, which is my favorite news source because they do that. They... Um, they're, they're, I mean, they're pretty nonpartisan. They're they're left leaning, but they're they they try to stay relatively neutral. But what I like about them is that they they don't just do politics. And I don't watch TV anymore, and I don't usually I, I don't do like CNN, Fox, MSNBC because those are yeah those are like um, media groups and they're live reporting, and I that's unhelpful because it's a twenty four hour news media cycle. They say the same stories, they exaggerate because they need to keep their ratings up and. Um, right. You know, they, they, they need to have something 24 hours always running. There needs to be a breaking story always. Yeah. But when you listen to things like NPR that are curated specifically for topics that are interesting and they can spend a good chunk of an hour instead of, you know, reporting everything, they focus on one specific issue. Yeah. So they'll dedicate two hours to in-depthly studying all perspectives of, like, um, what Trump said about Iran on Monday. Yeah. They spent two hours studying that on all perspectives and they went really in depth in it and you know they have a, a news hour in which they say like oh these are the updates of the day but they'll go really in depth on specific issues and also talk about art and tech and science and um music so i found a lot of new artists mm -hmm. through them they're they're really well balanced in um curating different things not just news yeah. uh, and not just politics and um that's a radio show but they also have a you know, a website and all that. Um, so for the NPR type of curators out there for the news, uh, if there's one of them, then great. Then you can listen to that as a primary source. But what happens when there's a million of those NPR type things? Like TED might be considered one of those type where yeah. it's like, well, you still have to make a choice between which, you know, which one. And then if everyone, let's say there's a best one definitively, if everyone chose the best one, then still there's a limited perspective. Yeah, and you do have to choose. And you have to be aware that you are choosing and that there's more out there. And that, that's just like, mm -hmm. you have to go into things humbly, understanding that you, like, the most worrisome thing is if someone comes up to me and they're studying politics or a politician, they tell me that they're an expert. <laughs> um, <laughs> because... To, <laughs> To yeah, say that that's you're always a, a red flag. Exactly, because to say that you're an expert on something means that you definitively know everything, and you can't know everything. And understanding people that people come up to you and say they're experts. People think that they are. Like, I mean, like say, saying you're an expert on an issue. Like, I'm an expert on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Wow. Like, you you no can't be off. an expert on that. You can read a lot on it, but you cannot be an expert on it because. You, there's more than one side and you can't be an expert in everything. Yeah. 
So you have to go into your day, and especially in politics, and go into it humbly knowing that you will not understand everything. You cannot physically understand all of the perspectives and know that you can work towards understanding more perspectives, but it's it's like a it's a circle. You you can pick like specific points on it, yeah. but it, it's it, it's infinite because there's infinite perspectives and infinite people with different experiences and history and all of that is like the psychology of how you interpret your day-to-day life is a completely different story for each person. And um and then, you know, also where you pick your media, who you are, when you're listening to it, why you're listening to it, all of that is different. So yeah. just know that you can work towards getting a more whole understanding. You never will get a whole understanding, but be open to the fact that there's other perspectives out there. That's just the, the crucial thing, and that's what critical thinking teaches you, that it can be true, but other things can be true also. Yeah. And meet as many people as you can and listen to what they say. It would be nice if, well, I think it would be nice. It'd probably be horrific to most Americans, but it would be nice if uh, there were more mathematics in politics, like if actual causal relationships could be modeled rather than, you know, being forced to rely on trust. I saw this on NPR. Yeah. I saw this on NPR. This happened on NPR? Um, they, were, they were talking about um, software companies, like, doing gerrymandering and stuff. It's probably not what you were talking about, but well, that's related. math. That's uh, actually pretty close to what I want to yeah. do. Oh, no. <laughs> Gerrymander with software. Yeah. Actually, my last software idea was not... It's not very practical. Have you heard of uh, stepping? It's like this African dance that That's happens right. on black college campuses. I have not heard of it. Oh, yeah. It's actually... it's. Oh, man. I would demonstrate, but... Basically, it's like... Uh, have, you, have you seen Stomp the Yard? Oh, that was a dancing movie. It was like a dance movie. I might yes. have. Okay, I've, I've seen for, a commercial for it. For all practical, let me not do that. For all practical purposes, it's uh, it's it's a dance, right. and it's a dance that involves stomping and clapping and sometimes uh, yelling, battle cries. If you're familiar, <laughs> yeah, it's very peaceful. Yeah, though. Even battle cry. Yeah, my conda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can use it, repurpose it. Uh, some people would argue appropriate it, but. Um, yeah, basically, I was thinking um, th- it's a very math. Fundamentally, it's about rhythm, mm-hmm. and rhythm can be, you know, written abstractly um, mm-hmm. using symbols. So, mm-hmm. in theory, computers could um, design steps given the inputs of, like, the number of people and like, yeah, the the different types of formations you want, and certainly with the rhythms. Now, if I actually did that, I think people would be very upset at me. Yeah. In the same way that, like, skaters would hate an electric skateboard or something, it might people might see it as the death of an art. But that was the last idea. I don't think about gerrymandering. I don't think about... Computers you know. do all kinds of art. It's actually a really interesting thing that you uh, bring that up, because they definitely can do that. They can, yeah. They definitely can. It's just a matter of, do I want to actually yeah. spend my time either doing it or convincing other people to do it? Or is it already done? You have to tell them a computer did it. You could pretend you're doing it. You have to program it. I can design. St- I designed steps for like three years of my life. Wow. Yeah, I had a step. The biggest step team I ever had was, uh, I think, 18, 20 people, which is pretty big. Smallest yeah. was like four people. So big by my standards. Yeah, but you can do more interesting stuff with more people, obviously. Mm-hmm. So my favorite thing was to do three-part steps. Mm-hmm. So it's closer to a symphony than it is everyone you know playing the same drum beat. You have... First of all, the formation is its own dimension. You could be in any formation and do the step. 
but I had specific formations, maybe three lines, maybe people moving in some dynamic, whatever. And then the rhythm that the first line plays is different from the second line, is different from the third line, but all three of them together make some kind of a, you know, some kind of a symphony experience, if you will. But a computer can't do that. Actually, maybe it can. I'm interested to see it oh, happen, yeah. <laughs> because then yeah. we have more interesting step yeah. step shows. Um, but uh, you know, it can iterate all possible steps given these parameters, right. and then you can just pick and choose. Maybe you can label them. You know, Google AI is coming out, so <laughs> maybe I can I can test out some of their products on my things so that it can categorize stuff without me putting it in oh, yeah. as input. It can. Um, Who knows? Maybe that's the future of stepping. It's very interesting how computers <laughs> do that stuff. Yeah, but it's possible. It's possible. But um, here's one thing I don't know that maybe you can answer. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Is uh, I wish I I could predict like given this project, mm-hmm. this is how many people and hours it would take to mm-hmm. to complete it. Or with one person, this is how many hours or whatever. Collaboration would probably there's probably an economy of scale type of thing. But like if I had an idea, get a, a guesstimate of like how how strenuous that would be to actually bring into reality. Because there's kids who make video games, right? Yeah. So that's obviously something that one person can do. But can you make Microsoft Word? Probably not. But why not? I don't know. I don't have any way of even guesstimating the, the answers to these questions. So maybe uh, maybe I'll go to DG and ask somebody or ask a professor. There's a whole field of like information theory and stuff. Um, yeah. I'm not good at that one. I don't know that one. I just know it exists. Um, I'm trying to determine like, what information is. So I guess like... You could. What is information? Uh, there's a definition I learned for a physics class and then I forgot it. Uh, information is, I want to say entropy. Yeah. Yeah, they, they're the same thing. Really? Yeah. Second question. Are human beings an intelligent species? Compared to uh, rocks? Yeah. <laughs> there's. That's how I think of it. I think like... I mean, are, are deer an intelligent species compared to rock? Are worms are an intelligent species compared to rock? Oh yeah, oh yeah, they are. Worms? Oh yeah. But that's the thing. What should be the basis of comparison? Um, I think I I, I don't know. I think of intelligence like as itself. I think of it in a human way. I don't know if the concept even applies. I mean, I'm sure some scientists out there look at intelligence in other species. But I always think of it in a very human way. So, like, when you ask if humans are intelligent, I think of intelligence as a human concept. So, I mean, like, by the definition of intelligence that I use, humans have to be intelligent. Um, and I can think that a rock would not be intelligent. Deepak Chopra thinks rocks are intelligent. Hey. I don't like Deepak Chopra. You could Chopra. be right. Why not, man? He's a nice guy. No. <laughs> <laughs> but he does. some people think that rocks are intelligent because rocks have a lot of information inside of them. Hmm. But... So that's a thing to consider. Wait, what do you mean they have a lot of information? Um, there's a lot of stuff going on inside of a rock, not necessarily, not necessarily processing information, but like physical things are going on inside the rock. There's yeah. bonds, there's like you can learn about a rock. So he he argues that that might be the same thing that gives us consciousness. It's just the matter, and I don't know if I agree with that. So let's say that you had some hot magma from the core of the earth, yeah, or from the around yeah. the core, and you cooled it, and yeah. it became a rock. Yeah. Versus you went to Yellowstone and grabbed a random rock or whatever. You went someplace. Who knows? The mm-hmm. answer grabbed a rock. Mm-hmm. Which one would be more intelligent? And what basically what's the measuring? I don't think I don't think you can measure the intelligence of a rock. Even though there's information, I don't think that it's. But important. it'd be entropy, right? Um, 
Entropy is information. You'd have some... Oh, yeah, intelligence. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, you're right. I got those confused for oh. a second. <coughs> some of these rocks are smaller than others. A lot of people others. do confuse information and intelligence. Mmm. <laughs> Uh-oh. Why is information entropy? Why is information entropy? Some guy, very good mathematician, smart guy, terrific guy, can recommend him. <laughs> Great guy. He was um, really smart guy. Really smart. And he was hanging out with this other guy, this other really smart guy. And smart guy number two says, and smart guy number one is smarter than smart guy number two. Smart guy number two, we'll call him smart guy number B because he's B level, and smart guy number one is A level. Makes sense. Top quality smart guy. Top quality. Um, so, <laughs> smart guy, smart guy B was like, I'm going to start information theory, and he wrote a definition for what information is. Okay. Um, but he's like, oh, well, what am I going to call this? And he asked smart guy number A for answers, and smart guy A says to smart guy B. He says, oh, well, you don't have to call us anything because this concept already exists. It's called entropy. And that's why information is entropy. Because, like... Because he said it. They're, they're defined as, like... <laughs> it's like saying, um... That this, the guy wrote a definition of information and smart guy number A was like, well, that's just the same as the definition of entropy. That's yeah, been he around. recognized that they were yeah, the same. He, he yeah, saw that they were. Yeah, the, the second... Or the B guy mm-hmm. didn't even know yeah. that the first thing had already been... I think, yeah, that's the same as... Uh, I always say this about language, that the concepts are deeper than the language. Like the concept of a color exists in all human language, probably all human languages today. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you don't know that someone else calls it bugaga or whatever, then you won't. You'll just call it purple. <laughs> you like my bugaga shirt? That's <laughs> yeah, a nice bugaga. Thank you. Is that, a, is that a real language somewhere? I don't know. Because I've heard that word before. Okay, maybe from I shouldn't have picked children? that word. Bugaga. From children? I don't hang out with children all the time. I thought you went to the end. <laughs> Savage. Yeah, I just <laughs> I just picked it because I thought it was a random string of sounds. Uh, okay. But man, I really um, I really don't like words, and then, which is ironic, right? Yeah. I don't like words. words and I don't like philosophy, but arguably, <laughs> arguably that's what I spend most of my time doing is trying to express ideas in the form of words by asking questions and trying to answer them with logic. But um. They're very, like, slippery to me. And it's actually, sometimes I'm physically disturbed by it. Like, oh, yeah. I'll just think, what? How, like, is any meaning being transferred? Yeah. You know? That's why I love words. Because they're slippery. Mm. Um, what you're talking about with the concepts. Um, yeah. In psychology, they're literally called concepts. Um, so it's this concept of a mother that all cultures have, and we call them different, or mother is a little bit, uh, is, is another thing, but the concept of red. Mm. Um, we all have that concept in our minds because it's a neurological, it's a neurological uh, <coughs> process that we've developed to understand the information that we see and process that as a color, but we all see the, the same color, somewhat of the same color, and we call it different things. Yeah. Or the concept of family, or the concept of clothing, stuff like that. Um, each culture has a different definition of it, and that definition is um, defined and kind of uh, picked based on traditions of that culture. But for some reason, even though we have all of these differenting things, like a culture in the most remote part of South America, and then Africa, who have never communicated, will have the same mythology 
mm. and the same concepts in their stories, and yeah. um, that's anthropo- that's uh, like the anthropology of mythology, which is super interesting, and I really want to learn more about. Um, like why dragons are in mythology of cultures that have never communicated, and that's a little bit more in a different thing. But concepts themselves, they're uh, everywhere, yeah. and the culture and the society that we live in chooses the words we use to describe them. And it's also really interesting because, um, like in English, we have one word for love, and it's love. And yeah. in Russian, which is another language I speak, there's like. You speak Russian? Mm-hmm. Prove it. Привет. Привет. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't say more. It sounds that. French when I say it. Tatlin says that word all the time. I don't Privet? know. Yeah, I don't know what it means. A full sentence. Mary Melissa. Hmm. You don't sound Russian for some reason. I'm not. Um, okay. <laughs> That's I, I why mean, I detect the accent. I'm Soviet. Oh, well, I mean, I'm Soviet, but I'm not. We, we've had this conversation. My mom is from Azerbaijan, and my dad is from Ukraine. We had this conversation mm. like two hours ago, I know. actually. Um, so should have podcasted it. Damn it. They're, they're, it was the Soviet <laughs> Union when they were living there, so it was Russia, but they're not yeah. from the European Russia. Like, okay. they're not from Russia, but they're... They're not Russian, but they're from Russia. Yeah. It's the way that they describe it. Um, but anyway, in Russian, which is the language that they all spoke, and it was my first language also, there's like five or six words for love. And it's a different thing to love an object than it is to love a friend, than to love a family member, than to love a significant other, than to love a day, and to love a weather. All those are different. Wow. Um, it, there's literally a different word. And in other cultures, there's even more. And that's because of the cultural traditions and the the norms of that culture values versus our culture and um so we don't love enough in this culture or we j- we just maybe maybe we do we will love a lot we love a also, lot we have we definitely do have like a difference between loving a family member and um loving other like an object and like loving like macaroni and <laughs> not me i love <laughs> macaroni and cheese uh, me loving an intelligent awesome. rock is the same as me loving the next girlfriend. Well, actually, the rock might be more intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> How sad is that? Welcome to America. <laughs> anyway, well, we have really smart rocks. But English is a very imprecise language, is what I'm trying to say. And, yeah, I agree with that. And but but the the way that I think is is so interesting in other languages, but also in English, that you can. I mean, we have a lot of synonyms for like the word good. Yeah. Or something like that. And um, if I want to say, like, today was good, or today was pleasant, or today was extraordinary, magnificent, wonderful. Um, <laughs> the best. Terrific. Hey, stop making fun of my president. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, it, it changes the meaning, and you can be so precise. Like, it's slippery because if you're not precise with your language, it's a slippery slope, and you can you be like, you know, if you say a word that someone interprets in a different way because of, like, the language or the way you inflict it, it's difficult, but it can also be so precise, and I think that's really cool that we can convey meaning and, like, sounds that really don't mean anything unless we give them meaning to, so. Yeah, that is cool, but specific languages I don't think are all that hip, but I, I, my concept of language kind of blends into all art, in fact, probably a lot of science, because anytime you're representing something that's not actually what you're talking about. To me, that is language. That is some kind of a 
uh, abstra- any kind of abstraction that's meant to contain a deeper meaning. Yeah, any communication to me is language. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that you can set up like norms within, uh, let's say you're talking about punk rock, you can set up norms so that if people are involved in this culture, they understand meaning where somebody else might just see like screaming or something like that and think that it's meaningless or it's just, it's not very refined. Um, but they might be deeper. It's just you don't speak that language. Or with music, you can there can be no words, and somebody can play a guitar and make someone else cry, and you can ask them, why are you crying? Because yeah. it, that song, it was talking about my grandfather or something. Mm-hmm. They can give a really specific um, uh, reaction, and to me, that's it's kind of like the mathematical concept of like, I don't know, like there's a general field, and if you're anywhere within that field, then you understand the message. Mm. And if you don't, then you know so like if so so even words are like that like mm-hmm. good is generally meaning these kind of emotions yeah. and if you you now you can interpret it as oh good is in like i ate a donut good or you can interpret it as like oh i you know whatever something else i uh, got a, a i don't know what would an american celebrate that they got, got a, a new truck yeah got a new truck so yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah it's kind of like you, you can decide what field you want to project out there, and then people are kind of picking an instance in it. But it would be better if you could just say, this instance, like, this yeah. is what I'm talking about. Every yeah. once in a while, being specific is nice, you know? And mathematics, by the way, is the best language. <laughs> I was going to bring that up, actually, like, mathematics as a language, because a lot of people, like, act like it's a language. And I like what you were saying about language and, like, kind of it being an abstraction of, like, a, a real idea. Um, but when you think of math, like... The idea is almost perfectly represented, you know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of room for abstraction. Um, obviously, like, I can't understand what Gauss was thinking, like, exactly. But when I look at what Gauss writes, like, I'm pretty much, like, directly inside of his brain, or Einstein, or um, Feynman especially. Any, anybody like that is, um, it's weird to think that if it is a language, it's probably the most precise out of all of them, because you don't... Um, I know what you're saying. Yeah. I, I would say it's not very fuzzy. fuzzy. I'd say there is room for abstraction. There, actually, I'd say it's all abstraction. It, yeah. But once, but the definitions are very precise, mm. so that once you do have a, uh, once you do write it out as, um, I don't know, a mm. set of symbols, then there's only one interpretation for it. Yeah. Right. Mm. But but I would argue that actually deciding like like actually thinking feel. about it. Yeah. is pure abstraction well, and then process. out of there you pull out these relationships mm-hmm. that should be well defined so that you can understand what was there so then what's the abstraction is your thought process the abstraction or is the actual math the abstraction because uh, I would say, I say the thought your thought process, process is yeah. the abstraction yeah so I guess the process of making the math is the right. abstraction but once once it's made you know then it's perfect yeah. I think that's the difference between STEM and humanities majors like, I love abstraction, um, and I love that words and essays are messy, and that you can, like, I hate that math tests, you can fill out an A, B, or C, and there's one correct answer, and I hate yeah. that. Um, I like that you give me one sentence, and I can tell you five different meanings for it. Yeah. Um, and I like thinking and extrapolating and analysis, and um, 
and I, and I think it's cool because it's imprecise, but you can train yourself to be precise. Yeah. And that's why I like studying mm-hmm. language, and that's why I'm always trying to, like, I, I love learning new words because that's, like, that's a new way for me to communicate and a new way for me to, like, mm. express myself. Yeah. So my, like, long-term goal is to learn more languages because that'll give me more ways to interpret, like, communicate like it's different like you know thoughts we talked about this before too um thoughts that are worded and thoughts that are not worded Mm -hmm. like you have thoughts that you put words to like Mm -hmm. you think and then you put that into words and then you say it out loud yeah um but those first like yeah true like guttural like emotions yeah if you can find more ways to communicate that, how cool would that be? Now, I, that's where I agree with you 100%. I think that's the same in the sciences and everywhere yeah. else. I think that the, 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 the raw thoughts before are... The, the reason why the, uh, the precision is good is so that you can communicate better. Mm. It's just that when it comes to certain things, communicating better means being precise, whereas for other things, mm. communicating better means leaving room. Mm. Yeah. Like if you want to say... Uh, you know, is and and the area with the exploration is the area where you never see in school, unless you're in grad yeah. school, which is the questions, the things nobody knows about. That's what people actually, yeah. scientists, mathematicians, that's where they actually live. And where we're exploring is kind of like, well, everybody already knows this stuff. We're just yeah. kind of training your logical abilities or making sure you learn certain concepts for some whatever. But that's the part that I like. The part that I like is the same thing that you like, yeah. which is being able to express yourself better oh, yeah. and being able to explore spaces that are kind of ambiguous and you don't really know everything yet. Languages. Um, but it just so happens that you need precision to do it in the sciences. Yeah. You don't need it in the other ones. We, I mean, so like different, different yeah. methods, I think, to achieve the same thing because they're different things. I think language, the way I define language is language is communicated meaning. Yeah, then, uh, yeah, yeah. And I think language can be, like, language can be dance. That can be a language. And math can be a language. Or the way you dress can be a language. And that's meaning that you're communicating right. to someone. That's um, And words are a way that we've defined it in humans. But I think there's more than one language. And the more that you can open yourself up to there being multiple and accept that, um, the more precise you can be with the way that you express yourself. Yeah. And I think I want to learn more languages that are, I mean, not just... Um, like linguistic languages but like other mm-hmm. languages to help me understand myself and other people and um, I think what was I going to say I don't know something I, I wanted to also talk about like the the need for math and humanities to, to join together a little bit Yeah, I, agree. Um, I think a lot of what helps humanities is logic so, like, the logical processes that you learn from mm. computer science or math is really needed in humanities, and that helps you understand things. And on the other end, um, the analysis, the critical thinking, the um, interpretation of data. Um, science. Science! Oh, yeah. But, no, 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 no. <laughs> from humanities to science. Mm. Analysis, critical thinking, abstraction, um, processing worldliness that needs to be mm. more in science and that will help you when in understanding that oh, yeah. it, it just you need you need it all like and, and yeah. th- that just brings me back to everything well, science people are all about that uh it's the engineers you got to worry about because they uh-oh, you? Uh-oh. yeah you? engineers suck um <laughs> I'll, I'll be straight up with it no they throw all that critical thinking and that kind of stuff just out the window 
Um, I mean, obviously you need some because when you want to design something, it takes a thought process. But, but how many people are designing things versus doing other things like maintaining yeah, something that's, that's already what most fixing stuff that, yeah. yeah. It's just, we need to... It's important though. We need to stay ignorant. That, that's it. Like Yeah, or just recognize that we already are. No, yeah. I mean, Plato's theory of the, the cave, the philosophy of the cave allegory. Um, I don't know. You guys know the cave? Roughly. That if you yeah. judge the person based off of their shadow, then you're missing whatever uh, the real content. You could be looking at the shadow the whole time. Interesting. Whenever you're doing some kind of analysis. Yes. I've never heard of it like that. But that's, no. in, that's an interesting perspective. It could be a wrong <laughs> interpretation. No, I, mean, I don't think there's a wrong way to interpret an allegory. <laughs> yeah. But the main one on that is, um, like, just very briefly, it's like this guy, the, 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 the thought process, I mean, I mean, not the thought process, the, the situation, the hypothetical... Yeah. There's a bunch of people, and they're um, they grew up their whole lives, and they're in a dark cave, and there's a fire behind them, and there's a person, and they're creating shadows in the fire, and these people are um, like handcuffed in, and they're watching the uh, the fire shadows in front of them, and that's what they've been doing their whole lives. They woke up the one more like they that's their whole life, so they think that their entire life and the entirety of the world is the shadow that they're seeing in the cave in front of them and there's a few other people next to them and that's all they know what they don't know is that there's a person controlling that and that there's a, a, a life outside so one day um one of these people uh well, as a hypothetical um one of these people is uh his chains or wh- whatever are um ropes are untangled and he strambles outside and he's blinded by the light. He, you know, this this process that, like, we've talked about this before too. That like he has no concept of even understanding that this exists because all he's ever seen in his entire life is these fire shadows. Yeah. So he has no even inkling that anything else. Not only does he not understand it, he doesn't know that it exists. Yeah. So he is in complete utter shock. He's like, "This is not real. Um, this is fake. That was real." But after spending some time there, he comes to understand that, wow, there's this whole new world that I didn't understand. Um, and then he comes back into the cave and he tries to tell them, like, look, there's more out there. And um, they attack him and they chain him back because mm. they will not believe that there's anything out there. And they're like, you've gone mad. Yeah. Um, there's nothing else. Like, get back in your chains. And um, Plato later goes on to say that it's the philosopher's duty to explore that upper area and come back and stay in the cave and then acknowledge his ignorance that he didn't see all of it. I mean, that, it, that I don't have to explain that because it, it gets really complicated. But yeah. um, the, the, what he's talking about is that the philosopher, the difference between the philosopher and the average person is that the average person thinks he knows everything and the yeah. philosopher understands that he's ignorant. Right. So it's it's this like understanding that you don't know everything like language math whatever like everything that we've been talking about today is just like you know that you don't know everything yeah but you're working towards that and that's what makes you different than the other people right and it's mostly just like not even conjectures that make up the conversations that i enjoy the most which is kind of in the form of from the little that I know, it seems like this might be an interesting thing in the future. 
We should just be. <laughs> but you never know. You can never say this is what it's. This is what it is. You know, or like I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. You can only sure. say like, well, it kind of looks this way. Maybe it'll be cool if things turn out this way. Maybe not. Like schools. Mm-hmm. Who knows what schools will be like in the future? Who knows if between the the three of us, we even have a good theory of what makes a school good. But it seems, from what we've experienced, that uh, doesn't focus on learning. Who knows? Maybe maybe it's impossible to focus on learning. Maybe it's just not plausible. Maybe it's just not realistic. Think but of something you gotta do yourself. You know, do it yourself. You know, that's, that's true. Shout out to the makers movement. <laughs> yeah, they're really cool makers. <laughs> I haven't gone to one maker thing yet. I expensive. need to go. Yeah, they're oh, cool. they're expensive. Oh yeah, they can't oh, maker fair. Yeah, yeah, they can't. And uh, the the workshops, the equipment, you could be looking at like hundreds, thousands, millions wow. of dollars. I'm imagining like, this is like a like, fair at a school where I could just um, walk in, bring in Arduino. I, I think my brother went. This it's worth it. I think there's a there's a place. There used to be a place called the Tech Shop. Oh, the DIY movement. Not anymore because they closed. But mm. they used to be a place, and it was um, government shutting us down. Yeah, it was. It wasn't too expensive. Like ninety or fifty bucks a month, and they let you access. All this equipment that you can't afford by yourself, like laser cutters, plasma Ooh. cutters, welders, CNC machines, all kinds of uh, stuff. 3D printing. Uh, do they ever They're have better. Those? Foothill They're has better. a 3D printer if you want. Uh, <laughs> it, Foothill, what, inferior inferior school? Oh. De Anza too, we have um, a massive machine shop, so there's a way to, ways to get access. There's always and a way. If you want to genetically modify an onion, I know people. <laughs> Wait. Specifically onions, like no, no tomatoes. <laughs> onions are the easiest because you can grow them. Like you, can, you can cut a little onion, put it on a little piece of media, and it'll grow. So it's the easiest to grow multiple ones. And are, are GMOs bad for us to eat? No, oh. but they are bad for society. Mm, why? Um, the issues aren't bad um, with the product itself, but a common modification is herbicide resistance. Now, when they say, Ooh, when yeah. we're talking about pesticides, yeah. pesticides you can put into the plant. You can't put an herbicide in the plant because herbicides kill the weeds. So right. what they do is they make the plant resistant to herbicides, so it'll kill all the weeds, but it won't kill my corn. And they just flood the field with herbicides. And mm. this runs into the rivers. It gets all nasty, um, bad. Oh, so it's not even the herbicide resistance. It's not even yeah. the GMOs. It's, the it's the fact that they can, they're, they're, they're flooding the yeah, fields. And it, there's also a- another thing is that um, the GMO itself, it, it, it's nothing. It just means that it's modified. Like anything, it's like... Yeah. CRISPR Cas9 isn't bad for us. It's like it's the same thing. It's like a modified whatever. Um, it's not bad for us to consume, but that as well as um, when they're spraying these fields with herbicides and other things, yeah. um, bees and other animals will oh, pollinate yeah. that, and then they'll take it to other farms who yeah. might not have GMOs. Yeah, and then those crops yeah, will die. That's true, because they'll they'll be carrying it, and it's really bad for the economy also because um, farms that have it and over pesticide power will um kill off farms that don't use gmos and then yeah. it's not bad for us it's just bad for society, society yeah. yeah um gmos as a technology they have the power to if um we live in a just world they would just get rid of world hunger but they wouldn't if we live in a just world there wouldn't be world hunger in the first place you know uh gmos don't do anything that they could do well they just kind of make money for a few people mm. that's how my biology professor put it uh, mm. But they're pretty cool. At least crop GMOs. Uh, yeah, there's uh, there's different types of there's oh, oh god, red, white, yellow, and green biotechnologies. Yeah, I think green is the agriculture one, and that kind of sucks. But <laughs> say uh, say you're diabetic or something, we have instead of um having a 
get insulin from like nasty ground up like livers and kidneys and whatever else yeah um now we can just genetically modify bacteria to do it and actually you know i want to talk about this too uh only three companies in the world can do this can make insulin um you can you know if you want in a high school or college lab you can make insulin but you can't fold the protein so it'll kill somebody if you put it in if you put it in them so only three companies in the world can actually fold it correctly and there's a project called the open insulin project and they're working on building a um, open source insulin so they're they're trying wow, to make their own cool. yeah their own they're, they're trying to basically break this monopoly because it's basically a monopoly and um that's what the lab i was talking to you about that would that would break that would uh, modify the onion they're part of that but it's a huge thing um bi- biology people and, and computer programmers are coming together to try to figure out how to get this thing folded yeah and um well, so many aspects of biology can be looked yeah. at as an information technology problem. That's that's why um, I have a, a friend, and she's a computer science major, and she said that one of the internships she was looking at was in like a company like Genentech. You'd expect to see a bunch of biology students, but they're all math and computer science people, just because... Um, well, I think that once you define the problem in your discipline, right. then it should become interdisciplinary. And right. especially, I mean, math is like a low-hanging fruit oh, yeah. for what you should add in, at, at least so everybody can explicitly see what oh, yeah. the relationships are. Oh, yeah. Because writing out stuff in words is not nearly as easy to understand. Well, yeah. actually, that's a whole statement. Depends on what you're writing. <laughs> well, th- when you're talking about relationships, especially... Uh, physical relationships and when you're going deep into biology when you're going deep into chemistry whatever it boils down to physical relationships eventually Mm -hmm. you go deep enough you reach an atom or you reach Mm -hmm. an element Um, you reach something which can be uh, observed from a physics perspective not saying that you know, you we should think about politics from a physics yeah. perspective. We shouldn't. No, I don't we think we should. We should. We should. We should. I think. I think. Math, I think we should have models of certain phenomena. But no. Um, we shouldn't think of atoms when we're saying yeah. who, should, who are we going to vote for. Yeah. Calculated no. from the atom. <laughs> no, but every issue you can look at from an inter- interdisciplinary perspective. Yeah. So I mean, this is kind of what I was talking about before, but like the things that I learn in my physics class, I apply to my science class. Mm-hmm. The things that I mean, in my or in my English class or whatever, um, it, it's Sorry. it's all the same. You're you're learning. You're becoming a, war, a more worldly person. And a, a, a specific example of this is climate change. So, I was conducting this research with a few other people at Foothill last or two quarters ago about um, how people perceive climate change and um, how willing they are to to make a change about it. And there. Were, uh, two surveys that the, the person that was leading this were conducting. The first was, um, you know, is climate change real? Um, do you believe it can be stopped? What do you think it's effective? Like, do you think turning off your water and like getting an electric car or something is going to help the climate? What things can you do to help the climate? That was like the first survey. The second survey was similar, but it said, um, do you believe climate change is real? And that, that's like, you know, a, a a screening thing like a vetting app you have to believe climate change is real to be continue. a good person oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> that too um but oh, yeah, yeah this is california <laughs> do you believe climate change is real <laughs> what am i worried about <laughs> you mean you would be surprised yeah but, a lot of um not at foothill though where i don't know about your uh dianza students um we're, you know, we're pretty good. Yeah, we, we, we tend to believe in climate change. I mean, this is this building is lead platinum, which is like, there's very are, few of those. Yeah, you guys are, you guys are good at, your politics are good. Anyway, um, sometimes. 
Uh, <laughs> Always. <laughs> um, is climate change real? Uh, and can it be stopped? And then it said, what's your major? And have you heard about climate change talked about in your major? And then it gave you examples of, like, uh, based on your major, like, chemical engineering. Like, look at this whatever person, engineer, designing this thing to help climate change. Or if you're an English major, then it would show you a piece by an, an author. Like, uh, there's a new genre called climate change fiction. So it would say, like, look at this piece by this author. And um, then the next question would be, is there something that you can do within your major to help climate change? Mm. And then you're already predisposed to seeing like people doing things in specific fields. And yeah. then it would say, do you think climate change can be stopped? Or what can you do to change? What can you, what can you do to help climate change? And the yeah. responses to that were like, completely different like people the p- things people are saying in the first survey were like yeah i can turn off my lights but and also the last question was do you think your change will have an impact um so they're saying like yeah i can turn off my lights but i won't leave an impact like it's not going to change anything yeah. but then when we ask people about how they can change the climate in their in their discipline or with their perspective it was completely radically different like people were coming up with things like i'm going to host a poetry conference about climate change and we're going to write personal perspectives and we're going to take that to Congress or I'm going to use 3D design to um, build a new part for some steam engine to make it more effective or like build a plug for your exhaust pipe (laughs) 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 or maybe your neighbor that you don't like their exhaust pipe (laughs) Uh, one less car (laughs) Imagine, but I mean the point is that when you when you look at this big thing, climate change, and or any topic like politics, and you look at it through the perspective that you have experience in, you can do so much more, and um, that's why we should we should look at polit- like if you're a physics major, you can look at politics through a physics perspective, um, mm-hmm. because you can you can create things and you can view it through the experience that you have, and then you can't say that you can't do anything like. You can always do something, especially within your field. And it's like, well, I'm an, like, if you're an English major, that doesn't mean that you can't talk about science. And it doesn't mean that you can't do things because you can do it through your learning. Like, you went to school, you learned these things. So just apply that. Um, that, that, that was a rant. But that's again with the, <laughs> that's again with like the, the worldliness. That's my yeah, big thing. I actually have an example of physics being used in a. And public policy and, and politics and just kind of city planning and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, obviously in buildings and stuff, but I, I don't want to talk about like architects. I want to talk about like people who um, who plan things for the city and roads and freeways, um, even concerts. Just even talk about concerts. There's an issue if you go to a concert and everybody's trying to. Um, you get enough people close enough together, they're no longer individuals. They're actually they behave like a fluid, uh, be it with with traffic on the road or with people at a concert. And um, if you're at a concert, you can get trampled to death because of just like an unstoppable force, which is generated by all these people bumping into each other. The the fluid compresses. So um, they have uh, people who work in fluid dynamics, like design um, concert venues so that people don't get trampled to death. And they design freeways so there's not traffic. Uh, (laughs) Some places they do it well, like uh, I-5 in San Diego, and some places they do it poorly, like... 85 south. But. Well, here's the thing. The population is growing, and you can't yeah. necessarily 
change the freeway as dynamically as I'm sure if the actual um, people calculating these things had a choice, then they'd rebuild the freeway every once in a while or whatever. Sure. But it's it, the thing about traffic is that people move places right. depending on economic right. factors there's, that um, are hard to predict. But there's the, there's the best way to build a freeway. Yeah. Um, given like, given the what best you way do is a know. state line with very few exits. But you can't. I mean, you know, like the the freeway also has to get to places. Have you heard of Musk's new proposal? Uh, the boring company. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, boring. That's, yeah, the boring company. Yeah, I, I love that idea so much. So much. The the, oh, the thing. Underground tunnels. Yeah. I'm yeah. worried about it. If you, go, if you go deep enough, it should be fine. Yeah, it should be fine. I'm just. Well, in general, what I'm worried about is um, the fact that what drives really smart people in our current economy, world, whatever, in the Western world, in the United States, maybe Russia too, mm -hmm. or the Soviet Union. But <laughs> what drives people is profit motive or, yeah, mostly profit motive. Sometimes. So, but, but you also have really big, like, social problems. And um, we have a, a huge misalignment between, like, like, there's never really a chance for you to prioritize, like, what is important on a human level? Versus, like, it'll never measure up to mm -hmm. what is important on a profit level. So uh, I'm always worried with really, really big projects mm -hmm. of, like, it just creating even more, um, what, do you, what do you call it, disparity? Yeah. Delta yeah. Uh, money? That's actually <laughs> one of the nice things about it. Like, if you, if you talk about uh, John Rockefeller, that guy, he wanted money. He wanted to create a monopoly. He wanted to make ethanol illegal to make yourself so you can't make your own fuel. He, he was a, like a traditional kind of capitalist kind of guy yeah. you don't like. But like with like the rise of technology, you know, a lot of our billionaires are less um, less Rockefeller style, That's you know, true. top hat mustache guys. And more just like people who are making stuff who are just accidentally rich. Like uh, Zuckerberg, he made Facebook. Yeah. Um, it's a good point that, that in, in like our paradigm rich. is manipulating data. Mm -hmm. So it's like it doesn't have that much of a um, initial cost, yeah. and there's a venture venture capitalist industry or whatever. Yeah, there's still there's so some there, capitalists. There's a bunch of things that allow you to basically not be born rich but become rich in the mm -hmm. end. Um, so class. I see, I think, or at least middle class, it seems. But there's still a lot of social still, problems. That, there's definitely social problems, but I mean, like the profit motive itself isn't as strong as it used to be because um, if you're you know, if you ever like have met like a scientist with like a PhD or something, and they don't make a lot of money, um, they work really hard. They don't make a lot of money. If you want to be, there's people who get MDs, which are like, yeah, uh, really, Business. really. Oh uh, uh, no, that's MBA. MD MBA, is like a, MD. a medical doctor sorry, degree. Medical doctor. And if you do this, you can become a doctor, and you can make two hundred thousand dollars lowballing it for a salary, or you can become a medical scientist and make eighty thousand dollars. And there's people who go to the medical science route. And study medical science, and it's not a very well-paying field at all. And even with the potential they have to make hundreds of thousand dollars as a doctor, they don't. They become scientists. What well, could be their preference too for like it what is. they're doing on a daily it is. basis? It's not exactly a problem. It's yeah. It's hard work though. Um, I have a friend who actually he pays labs so he can work at the lab. He he loves science that much. He doesn't get paid. He pays them, and um, he's actually making a big difference in people's lives. You know. Yeah. You're right about the profit motive and how it's a big thing with all the all the big names you see, but it's definitely not the only motive out there. It's just that people who are motivated by love of what they do are kind of kind of smaller because you don't you don't see them because it, if you're motivated to have a big business, you will, and if you're not, you probably won't. And there's ways to fix that. I think. Um, I mean, I don't want to spend too long on critiquing capitalism, but why not? 
That's what he does 24 7. Pretty much. Uh, I mean, we can do that, but it's. Um, what are you, an anarchist? Nope. Uh, somethingist? Nope. <laughs> I'm, that's my capitalism. I just don't, yeah, that's. that's I'm, <laughs> I know you. I don't have politics, I just don't like capitalism. <laughs> um, Bernie fan? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, moderately. I mean, sometimes. I mean, not really, but like a little bit. I like him. He's cute. Bernie! Bernie! <laughs> I think it's a great chant. I don't know anything about him, but he, I, I'm like a fan more He's as nice like guy. more more as like a general fan than I know. Like He's I nice. can actually back up his He's politics. A, He's a nice guy. I don't I don't like a lot of things he says because they're wrong sometimes. But I like him as a person. I like his yeah, ideas. That's how yeah, that's where I am. Anyhow, He's a pop culture icon now. Yeah, yeah that's not, what I mean. He's like he's a celebrity. He's <laughs> which is kind of scary considering he's a senator. But regardless, um, hey, we most got a celebrity person. for president. You're right. Not a, not lots of celebrities for president. Yeah. Ronald yeah, Reagan, been. Woodrow Wilson. We've been at that. George Washington. Al Franken. Kanye good, West. Good oh, that, that's next. Up next, oh, my boy yeah. Kanye. Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger. He wasn't president. Jesus. Jesus. Yodis. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Capitalism? Yeah. Something like that. Um, I think a lot of that is uh, attributed to capitalism that you know people can't achieve their dreams because there's this corporate structure and profit oriented things um, I think that that's and that's wrongly attributed to capitalism I think capitalism is an economic structure and it's purely economics and a lot of the social issues are um, just that they're social issues they're not economic issues mm-hmm. um, although you know there's is- social issues that become economic but um, those can be solved with legislature and those can be solved with psychology and they're not solved with economics because um, the structure doesn't change. We just need to allow more people to be into the, in the structure and allow them to exist in it easier. So, um, you know, there's people that have great ideas and they can succeed and it's not the capitalism that's stopping them. It's the fact that they don't have access to education, that they don't have affordable housing, that they don't have health care, that they're... Um, you know they're discriminated against it's all of those issues that are social issues that has nothing to do with our gross domestic pro- gross domestic product um that's something that we can change as we, we can hope to change as a society and through legislature um and i think there is hope for that and there is slowly becoming more acceptance of that fact that those disparities do exist and that um we can actively do things to change them and that will allow more people to, I mean, achieve this American dream, but even just enter into the workforce and enter yeah. into this process mm-hmm. because they're, they're barred from it. Like, you cannot enter into it because right, of these yeah. things that are pushing you down. And we've been ignoring them. And um, the first step is always just acknowledgement. So, um, Well, let's say you're going to look at an issue like housing, which seems to be mm-hmm. um, the cross, cross-section of both of those, a social issue and an economic issue. Don't you have to analyze the economics to know what's uh, yeah. plausible as, as, as a legislative thing? For instance, let's say somebody, we're, we're in Silicon Valley, housing is really expensive. Let's say somebody proposed from a legislative, whatever perspective, let's house the homeless. Well, that suddenly it is an economic issue because yeah. you have to know what the cost of that mm-hmm. is, how many people you're talking about. But, there, but them being homeless is not an economic no, issue. No, them being homeless is not. Because, yeah. because like, let's say, it, as an economic perspective, they are capital. They are human capital. They're labor. Mm-hmm. 
they are able-bodied. Um, so like all you all, sometimes sometimes yeah, sometimes well, yeah. and then they're not considered into the civilian workforce if they're not um, the mm-hmm. way we measure human capital in economics is you're over 16, you're able to get a job, you're well-abled, um, or well-abled enough to work into the labor force. Mm. And if you fit all of that, uh, that's no longer an economic problem. The reason that you can't work is a social problem, um, which harms you economically, but isn't an economic problem. Um, and we can fix that uh, through social sector work and legislature and then the best way to propose that becomes an economic problem because it's budgeting. Yeah, but, that's what I was going to get at, um, is what if, in order to address it, you have to, you know, dip into economics. But then it's, but then it's fiscal policy, and it's not um, economic. Like, we're not talking, changing, it's not monetary, it's fiscal. Like, we're changing taxes, or we're changing um, legislature, like, we're changing our discretionary spending, or our mandatory spending, we're not changing the structure of uh, capitalism and what a corporation is. We're just changing kind of, we're choosing what we spend money on. That makes sense. That's what we're doing right now because, I mean, capitalists are the one in power. So, I mean... Screw the capitalists. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, nobody's ever going to... In a, in, a, in a country where the most pow- powerful people are successful capitalists, nobody's going to want to challenge uh, capitalism. But there's some ideas to take into consideration. Like uh, you were talking about uh, human capital. Um, I have human capital, but I also have money in my bank account. I have money in my savings account. I have money in my investment account and in my retirement account. I've, um, all, that's, that's a lot of, not really, but like it's a lot of capital. <laughs> I have a car. I have a house. I have, I have clothes. I'm wearing clothes. Um, the less you have, the less easy it is to invest. Like, right when you when you only have your um human capital you're kind of in a, in a bad position there yeah and as costs of living go up and stuff is there's Inflation. less and less you can do yeah there's right. less and less you can do and maybe it's one thing to say that well it's possible for you and me to be successful but when you look at it um different there's like different rates at which people go from lower class to upper class lower class to middle class and then when they just die at lower class and there's there's a lot of upper class people who die lower class but usually people will stay in their own classes. And um, when, as a society, if you measure the wealth of the richest people in society, it it, it never, like, and there's a portion of the bottom, it never just goes up rich and the bottom stays the same. It always goes up rich, down bottom. The the gap increases. And and there seems to be some rudimentary explanation for that that Mm. involves investments. It's that you can grow money. If you if you have money, you can grow right. it. Or if you're aware of right. how money works, you can grow it. But you don't, if you're not aware, or you don't nowhere. have it. But it comes off of other people's work. So when you get really rich, somebody has to not be rich. Whenever you're investing in somebody, somebody has to be working for you. And the more you make off of them working for you, the less they make off of their own work. So if uh, I work 40 hours a week at a CVS, which I've done, um, I talked my way into getting paid pretty well. I got like it was twelve bucks an hour, which isn't great. Um, there was a other guy; he's been working there forty years, and I think he has some kind of autism. And he getting paid eleven. And this store makes a lot of money off his labor. He's a way better worker than me. Um, he's been around longer. He knows what he's doing. The customers like him. The customers return just for him, but he doesn't make the money off of his own work. Um, so if somebody was to get rich off of him, he'd have to be getting poorer. See, if if nobody was getting rich off him, he could be making twenty bucks an hour by himself. But since somebody had to be getting rich off of him, he had to be getting poorer. And this this includes, like, when you invest in a company, you put the money in, but you also take the money out later. So the money doesn't come out of nowhere. And that's one of the one of the bigger issues with capitalism is that it's making money off of other people's work, 
which mm-hmm. is fine, but also it's it's really not. And it would be a lot I, better if everyone were was aware too of mm-hmm. like the phenomena of inflation. The the fact that mm-hmm. even if they do get paid the same amount, yeah. whatever, and they're even if you're fine right now. That says nothing about what's going to happen in the future. Um, relying only on your job for your financial education is not a healthy, safe route. Mm-hmm. But there's in, there's always an incentive mm-hmm. to keep people uneducated because you could yeah. do what happened to the person. That's that actually the first public education in the world um, was in Enlightenment era Europe, and it wasn't designed to educate people. Maybe right now we have pretty good public education sometimes, but well, we f- have the internet now, so yeah. the whole game is fucked it's, up. Well, the internet can be good or bad, but public education bad, originally but. was designed to educate people. Enough to work in factories so that capitalists can make more money off of them, but not necessarily enough to become the capitalist. Right. I mean, become the owner of a factory. I don't think that capitalism forces Mm -hmm. that there be a winner and a loser. I think that's a way that we've interpreted capitalism in our structure. I just, I'm very careful to, um, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm very careful to assign blame to capitalism as a structure Mm -hmm. um, because we see it through the perspective of how it is here. Um, just like the same way that socialists will try to convince you that um, the Soviet Union, that socialism wasn't a failure in the Soviet Union, it was just a fault of the Soviet Union mm-hmm. and not of socialism. Yeah. I think capitalism's failure in America isn't the fault of capitalism, it's the fault of America. And on top of that, I want to add, that's another, I mean, economics, this already happens, but that's another area where simulation would be mm-hmm. of great use as a teaching simulation. tool. So you can know what the degrees of freedom are, you can oh, move yeah. each knob. And you could say oh, this is one instance of a greater. Nice. This is one instance of a greater phenomena, and here are all the other versions that could have happened. That's now, a lot of modeling. Now, how many of them? Now you can say, okay, let's reduce this to you know mm-hmm. the top nine or something like that. The nine most different mm-hmm. uh, ways that this could have come about, but at least we can gain an understanding oh, of what's actually different. under someone's control and what's actually a a consequence of the fundamental structure of capitalism. That's a really interesting idea, but. The fundamental structure of capitalism is that you can own something that gives you power over someone else. So you can own something that somebody else needs to succeed. So if I, if you want to make money, you got to work for my factory. That's, that's well, fundamental I think, I think, capitalism. I think, I think it could work if you do it with wants. With wants? Yeah, but as soon as it's Not like needs. wants and needs, then it gets really squirrely. Right. Well, and it, it is, you are making profit, but if we, if we change the meaning of what, like how much profit you need to live, and yeah, what that's profit what I mean. means like there should be a, dis- we, a we difference need, we like it's possible and in other countries that are capitalist like industrialized nations that are capitalist they have guarantees like it's not it, you're not socialist just because you have single pair stuff like that for sure um, they have guarantees that even if you are not a an investor you can still be successful you can still live and right now mm-hmm. we don't have that like if you are not part of the capitalist scheme if you're not invest like if you're not playing into that you will likely first of all not have access to education because you're already um you know kind of inherited that and that will make sure that you don't have a, a high paying job and then your kids won't have high education and you'll be starving with uh, yeah. homelessness and all of that and it's like a perpetuating scheme but if we change that narrative Keep the capitalist structure, but change what it's like for us to exist as people. Social democracy. Mm. Um, but it, I mean, if we change like our experiences as people existing in like our contract, like our social contract with each other and with the government, that's that's legislative. That's uh, sociology. That's not economics. That's sociology. If we change that, then we can survive in the economic structure. And I don't think capitalism is 
the pinnacle of like I don't think it's the best, yeah. but I think it is better than uh, communism and socialism, which I have issues with that I will we can talk about it or not, whatever. Um, I think the purpose that the socialists were trying to create, which is you know um, freedom, access for all, and equality, yeah. is a good one. The way they went about it in a completely uh, corrupt and disruptive way, mm-hmm. but that concept we can still realize even within capitalism. But I don't think capitalism is the end goal, is the end um, panacea of everything. But I think that we can do things in our capitalist structure to improve the quality of life for everyone and ensure quality of life for everyone. And um, that comes from just you know like education reform and social reform and. Um, awareness and communication, critical thinking, like, you know, understanding that there's other perspectives. We purposely choose in a peripheral vision to, like, ignore perspectives that we don't know enough about and disagree with. So if we just accept that they're there, like, other people that we disagree with or other people that are, aren't within our cultural group or all of these other differentiations, accept that they're there and then learn about them, That that's really the first step to making it better for other groups is to learn that they exist and um yeah I, I, I can rant for a while but um change the the contract not the economic system right now we can work on the economy later but why not at least make it better where we are we yeah. can we already can automate every cashier in the country we can replace most of the factory workers um Right. That that's why this we conversation is interesting. We don't need because to wait. Yeah. We're coming into a time where people aren't even going to need to work. Yeah. We don't or need to a wait. A lot to of people. A lot less people are going to need to work, and there might only be room left for intellectual yeah. workers and maybe business people and like artists and. Um, yeah. Well, I would we count could, them as intellectual. We could workers. have a really good future, or we could have a really uh, really bad future. Really bad. Um. Let's say that um, if your family all works at Starbucks and then all of a sudden Starbucks automates everything and you get screwed and you get fired. Well, if the government just taxes Starbucks and gives you a basic income mm-hmm. and, you know, like make it work under capitalism, then Starbucks has no incentive to automate your labor. So, I mean, well, that's okay. good, but it, we should automate labor. It's something we should do and it's something we can do. It's something we don't need to wait to do. But capitalism makes it kind of hard to do because if you pay somebody with taxes put on the company, like Obama suggested, um, taxing every every job that they replaced so that they could pay people who had their job replaced. Um, if you do that, then companies have no incentive to automate and people still work very long hours and very bad jobs. But the jobs that people work for long hours right now that are really boring, like the CBS cashiers that I met, they don't need to be done. And um, everybody says that in the future, we won't need capitalism because of technology. But our technology is there already. It just kind of really getting to replace capitalism is the hard part. And you're right about everything you say about um, working under capitalism, but if we want to take away human capital entirely, um, or at least for the most part, and make it so that if you're homeless, you can't get a job at Starbucks because Starbucks won't be hiring people anymore. You can't get a dangerous job in the factory or a life-threatening job in construction because those don't work with people anymore because we want to make society better as a whole. there, it's, it's hard to do that under capitalism and if you do then there's no incentive for a company to actually automate that labor because they mm-hmm. get taxed more I disagree um, just just quickly I think it's true first of all that we will have um, jobs that are automated and we'll have mm-hmm. a, a, 
a group of intellectuals that are thinking of new mm-hmm. things to create, like the creators versus the workers. Like you know, there's yeah, that's that's going to exist whether it's a capitalist like, system you know, or not. Unskilled and semi-skilled workers will be replaced, but um, skilled and professional workers will not be. That we always need that eventually. Well, actually, eventually. I think professionals might be. Well, okay, okay well, and definitely skilled. Well, skilled is gonna. It's go. just people who are willing to improvise, basically. Well, the, the next the next thing that I was going to get to is um, let's look at, let's focus on unskilled and semi skilled. So that's um, you know like construction workers, people working mm-hmm. in factories or Starbucks stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, why don't we look at why those people? And I'm not talking about people like summer jobs or like in college. I'm talking about like forty years working in a factory. Yeah. Why is that person working in a factory? Why are they not an intellectual? Why are they not labeled as in the professional like in the economic patterns like why are they not labeled in the professional workforce um a lot of that is because of their access to education and it goes back to their housing and their social issues and why don't we change that so that if that job goes away it doesn't matter because that person doesn't need that job to be successful they can be an intellectual or intellectual professional whatever i don't like the word intellectual but Someone who who's give them a creator. Who's a creator? A creator yeah. and a the chef. people. <laughs> sure, I mean something that requires like in economics. There's always like you know like unskilled, semi-skilled, skilled, professional, and professional requires the most amount of education. And you can't be a professional doctor, lawyer, creator, think like thinker. Yeah. Without well, you can be education. a creator without much well, education. Well, prof- in, in, a professional level. In, in the workforce, at least, a professional. So why don't we look at why those people are unskilled in the first place, why they need to be doing those jobs mm-hmm. that really don't need to be done by them, and change it so that they, it doesn't matter if those jobs goes away because they can do more. Because I think... It's I pers- hard, though. It's I hard personally- to get educated, especially when you work. The, the- and there's no relationship between create between right. jobs that exist and the population at time T. But do we agree that all people are capable of, like, I think all people are capable of being doctors? No, not, not, okay, fine, okay, not doctors. Definitely not doctors. Like, not doctors. No, no, okay. no, 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 not just that. Whatever they're learning. But if you're working 60 hours a week, because like the, the less your job pays, the more you got to work. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find time for education, especially because you're so exhausted when you get home. Um, your brain can only do so much during a day. And after, you know, there's some days where I love to learn. I've dealt with some advanced concepts. But after eight hours at CVS, I, I go home and I sleep at 5 p.m. And that's why our... <laughs> no, but... And it's true. And that's, and that's why I'm saying right. that we need to change our structure because... Mm-hmm people that are working at CVS for 40 years mm-hmm. can't move up to the professional level and that is at, not at fault of maybe so we should do more social engineering no social social <laughs> innovation no 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 I, I agree with you in general but it so let's say that there is a time period in your life maybe your young adult life it seems mm-hmm. for a lot of people where your brain is more plastic than at other times if if you did if it's true, if we did have an education system that actually did encourage people to, I don't know, learn pattern recognition and pursue their, understand how to identify and pursue their interests and how to do basic research in some way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. how to find books that interest them, read them, and show that they can comprehend it, or something along those lines. Maybe in the future it would be find the right simulation online or something. This is the equivalent of reading a book. But, um, 
if we could teach those things in that time period, then it would be nice, right? If, if whatever, if everybody could propagate through and become professionals. But in order to get people in a situation where they're developing those skills, that's already touching in the world of economics because it requires maybe some hardware, maybe it requires people to physically be there. Um, et cetera, et cetera. And these things have costs. So there might, I mean, as long as there's a system, as long as there's any kind of disparities, then you're always going to have people who are on the bottom, even if you correct mm-hmm. every problem but that one. I, I, and Especially for, given that people are competing once they're in the workforce. They're not just like kind of doing whatever, doing average. They're like trying to be the best they yeah, can be. But it doesn't, Yes, right now, but yeah. in this hypothetical situation that I'm imagining that I don't have a name for and can't create... Zuzuland. Zuzuland, sure. Um, in Zuzuland, I... Well, let's go back to real world for a second. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, like, let's all agree that everyone has the capability to be a creator. Mm-hmm. Right? I think they do. Yeah. That's so, I think they do. Okay, so if we have that understanding, then um, in Zuzuland... There, everyone has the ability and um, execution of becoming the creator of whatever they want to be. And since there's no need, since there's a guarantee that, um, like we have, guarantee like basic human rights guarantees. There's no threat of like if I don't work, I'll starve. Yeah. Um, I mean, you need to work, but like right. there's no threat of like death like immediate death that if i don't work like just boredom <laughs> well i mean there, there's Not other really incentives there's other incentives to work but you your human rights are guaranteed at least yeah. like you have access to healthcare and you okay. have a shelter like i don't want everything to be guaranteed to you but you have human rights you'll live um exactly it's like you you know that you will wake up right. tomorrow that, that, let's just leave it at that yeah um, that's my zuzu land <laughs> I'm yeah, right there with um, you. I like that Zuzuland. Okay, well, yes. And then in Zuzuland... Um, Basically, everyone realizes their potential. And then if everyone yeah. realizes their, their potential, then there doesn't need to be... I mean, there's competition, but if everyone is a creator, a self-creator, then right now the reason we have competition is because there can only be one best. In Zuzuland, there doesn't have to be only one best. Everyone can be their best. Yeah, and everyone and people can be can, a creator. Yeah, you're right. If people would be in a situation where, like, right now we have to prioritize going to work and you know doing as best as we can at work over other things that we would value if we were all stable and yeah. we could all and we all realize, hey, you know what? We're not going to die if we don't go to work. We can actually care about Do things. Like, for instance, here's a scary one. Um, they say it takes a village to raise a child, right? Well, wouldn't it be interesting if in Zuzuland you found out that, like, it was a lot more fluid. Like, kids would spend more time in other parents' homes or whatever, and they would learn in a sort, like, a wide range of values and perspectives as a kid rather than just one perspective. Because certain people, just, it's bad luck. They, they, you know, their parents really aren't uh, all that interested in being parents. So they don't really get, like, the values that would otherwise help them realize their potential. And then, you know, it's hard to question your ideals. Maybe when you're 20-whatever, you realize, you know what, maybe I don't want to live this way. Maybe I want to live this other way, and I was just kind of born into thinking this way. I think I just, I just think this just comes down to the, the fact that I think humans have so much potential that we're not accessing right now. And humans are awesome. 
And if we can just gu- if we can just guarantee these basic things, humans will be capable of so much more than we're allowing ourselves to be right now. There's no need for people to be filing a cash register. That's not reaching human potential. That's not self-actualization. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not being the best version of yourself. Right. And the reason that we're not doing those things and the reason that people who are doing those things generally have more privilege, more opportunities, is because they have rights guaranteed that other people don't. Right. So if we guarantee basic rights to people, humans will be more able to realize their full potential, create what they want to create, whatever it is, and then there's um, more growth, more innovation, right. less competition, more happiness, totally. eudaimonia. Like all in Zuzuland, there's automation isn't a problem because mm-hmm. nobody would Automation's be working. Yeah. Nobody would be working those jobs anyway because. And the thing about Zuzuland, I mean, it is for some people. I think the thing about Zuzuland is I was born in Zuzuland. Most people who go to maybe not community college, but most people who go to a university are in Zuzuland. They don't. They know they're not going to die. They know that a worst case scenario, they're not going to starve. Right? They know that okay, I can actually spend time thinking about mathematics. University is Zuzuland, and maybe that's why some ideologies are very popular among college students. People well, I mean, think that's it's just school. filthy rich. University is land after. Yeah, because you're 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 creating and you're pursuing what you're like. It's the learning mm-hmm. thing. You're pursuing what you're interested. It in. It actually feels good to do what you're required to do. Definitely. You feel like you're getting good at something worth getting good at. You're you're learning. You're you are improving. You're improving. And everything's taken care of. Yeah. Well, and I mean, maybe not. Every, well, well, with uh, a student loan, usually. And I, I mean, For, pretend it doesn't exist. This is Zuzuland. <laughs> this is fucking it's Zuzuland. Yeah, and I mean, there's competition <laughs> and there's all that. But in, in Zuzuland, it's improvement. Like, the, the goal of society is to improve. It's not to compete in resources. There's no scarcity for happiness. So what like, if Zuzuland was adjacent to Nunu land, which Nunu is land. not good, right? Build a could Zuzuland... <laughs> could, could Zuzuland still be, you know, uh, up and up moral society, whatever? I don't think you included morality, but I'm going to throw it in there. We don't need morality. <laughs> but so is, does Zuzuland have an obligation to look at Nunuland and say, we are going to, it is our job to integrate you into Zuzuland or to yes. bring you in? Zuzu- uh, yeah, I think that, I, it, Zuzu- otherwise it wouldn't really be a true Zuzuland. No. Only if Nunuland wants to. I mean... That's a good point. Zuzuland isn't a, isn't a they country. They should give Nunuland a great opportunity. Oh yeah, Zuzuland is like a... Zuzuland isn't a country. State it's of mind. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. Um, it's 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 a utopia. It doesn't exist. You but can't, you can't get to Zuzuland out of capitalism, though. That's... No, but you can get closer, and then Zuzuland is... I mean, there's a lot of other things that we haven't discussed that I would like Zuzuland to have, and that would okay. be not capitalist. That would be... Public transportation. I mean, th- there's just so much that, like we can idealistically think about and have in Zuzuland. There's also so much that we can change today. Like, yeah. we can get people housing. We can get people healthcare. That's something that we can do now. Like, we don't... Do you think universal healthcare is possible? Because I, I argue that that's an economic question. It's absolutely possible. Um, but it's it would mean charging less for drugs. Because right now, you know, I, uh, I sold somebody... It was Viagra. It was 110 bucks for a little, a little packet of Viagra. And I know, I know it doesn't cost that much to make. Um, M- Martin, whatever his name, he would charge like $700 for that one pill. Shrekly? Yeah, Shrek, oh, whatever. My, uh, my man. You could make it for two bucks if you wanted to. And there's, there's high school students who've done it. Um, you need little organic chemistry knowledge, but not a lot. 
It's not the. What does the pill do? Um, it it fights. I want to say it was AIDS. Uh, Shirley. Yeah, it was. I'm pretty sure it was AIDS. Mm, I think it was in, like. It was called Daraprim. No, it was Daraprim. It was oh. definitely AIDS. Um, insulin's bigger. It's harder. He's, he's you, I can't make insulin at home, but I could make that at home. Um, you mess around with uh, making a lot of stuff at home, man. He lives in Zuzu land. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it's a wonderland. Where you, can, you can do biological night. and chemical experiments <laughs> right in the comfort of your own home. Oh, you I can. Mean, that's Zuzu land. Yeah. Just no big whatever. Farmer. Whatever you make at home, do not put it into your body. Just, just don't. <laughs> you speak from experience. I do. Um, don't put it into your body. Just because you messed up. Like if you mess up in a math problem, you don't see your mistake. You go to the end. You're like, huh. I made a mistake. I wonder where. You, you're coding something. You write code for five minutes. You, you make a mistake. Bugs. You know, you miss a little semicolon. I make so many mistakes when I code. You, you mess up in chemistry. You, you can't see it. You, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know if you messed up. You know, you, and you don't have a big NMR machine. And even if you did, the machine can't tell you where you messed up. Um, you don't know what you made. You know, you can think what you made, but when you put it in your body, like you, you, Realize you messed up, but it's too late. Like you're getting a stroke or whatever. So don't ever yeah. do anything. Then you end up in new new land. <laughs> Pretty much. So don't do drugs. You make at home. This brings us to the wrap up. It's actually been a fairly long time. I'm kind of hungry. All right. Wait. 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 So I have. <laughs> first of all, thank you guys. Thank you guys for spending the time. And I have one last question yes. for each of you. All right. It's the most important question. The most the important question Are you in the universe. Thread or button? Thread. I was going to say thread too, but then she, now I don't want to look like I'm copying here. No. Button. Take that. Thread. Why? Because um, without a thread, a button just falls off, but without a button, the thread's pretty lit. Hmm. Unless it's a 4chan thread, then just <laughs> get out of there. Just get out. Button. If it's for button. But if it's a normal... If we're talking about, like, sewing supplies thread. Are we talking about sewing supplies? We're always talking about sewing supplies in Zuzu land. That's right. Because <laughs> we have nothing else to talk about. I'm a real tigger. I got triggers. Dip her in honey. I will lick her like Pooh Bear. I'm too rare. You Care Bears, your crew scared. Tape here when the fam's near. Cheap shit, that's out. Weekends in the kitchen, off the deep end, but I'm living. Ooh, cleaner than soapbox. The Chef of X podcast. Mmm, delicious.